right, everybody. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sideways in Time. As always, I am your host, Lucha Chris. We got a very exciting episode, and and why is that, Patrick? Well, if you notice, there is there is somebody between you and I, Chris. Uh, it is the one and only, the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff is joining Nikita. us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is so awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Koloff, for doing this. This is. Can I call you Nikita? Is that? Uh, please, please do. And uh, hey, just for the record, Chris, you sound as about as much uh, luche as I do Russian. Just so you know. <laughs> I'm working hard. I'm trying so hard. I am too. I am too. <laughs> People are like, "What happened to your accent?" I'm like, "I retired when I did, I guess." Yeah, you spent a, you spent a lot of time in the United States. Your accent's finally yeah, just, melted away. I assimilated. Away. <laughs> exactly. I actually had a, a quick story. I, I, I was speaking at a conference uh, in, in Fort Mill, South Carolina called Morningstar Ministries and Harvest, Harvest Fest. And this woman comes to me afterwards at the book signing at the book table. And she goes, so so how did you get your English so good? For <laughs> like, uh, not really from Russia. That's how I did it. <laughs> That's anyway. Amazing. I'm sorry. It's your show. Take it away, Pat. No, no, no. Actually, um, that I mean, we're we're gonna lead into that. Um, I was doing. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I mean, 87, WrestleMania 3, that's when I really started watching wrestling and stuff. And, then, and you know, and I was just getting, absorbing everything I could. And I remember flipping channels and going to uh, TBS, and I see this giant, bald Russian with a chain around his neck. And, you know, and I mean, you know, I was 12, 13 years old at the time, and it, you scared me. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, and... And part of my like teenage brain, you know, preteen brain was thinking the Russians sent over Nikita Koloff and Nikolai Volkov to take over the world because of store. Of course, you start in pro wrestling uh, for world domination. Uh, right. Exactly. When I was doing my research on you, um, I saw that, uh, uh, which I didn't know that you were Russian until I was, you know, maybe in my early 40s so kudos to you for such a great i mean you are one of the kings of kayfabe one of the last kings of kayfabe i think um well when you started uh, uh it was you wanted to be a football player and then uh road warrior animal god rest his soul uh he was the one that said why don't you know why don't you try wrestling yeah in a, in, in a nutshell yeah it, it, that's exactly right i mean from a young age, from 12, 13 years old, you know, started bodybuilding, work exercising anyway, working out and, and kind of fell in love with, with uh, professional football. And, and that became my passion, my dream all through junior high, high school, into college, recruited my senior year. Uh, I say recruited. Um, the NFL was scouting me my senior year. And, and so that was, that was a, a, a direction that I was hoping to take. Had a setback my senior year when I, I, I fractured my lower leg uh, in a game. And, and that was a bit of a setback, but I didn't let it hold me back because I'd actually fractured my other leg in a game my freshman year in college. And so not one, but two. And, and yet I used that as motivation for a comeback when, and I was training for a pro football trial when, when Road Warrior Animal had made the phone call, shared the storyline of a nephew for uncle Ivan Korov. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and as the old cliche really go, the, the rest is history. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, that, that was one of the things I wanted to, because the way the, uh, the bio said it was like, here, I'm picturing you're working on the gym and, uh, you know, Joe Laurinaitis comes up to you and says, Hey, watch try wrestling. And then you two just walked out and, you know, and yeah, so it's almost, uh, outside of the gym, uh, my, in my, the gym scenario in my brain, that's kind of what happened where, you know, okay, that's really cool. Yeah, essentially, because for your viewers that that your, your your audience that maybe doesn't know, and by the way, if they want the whole story, obviously we're limited on time today. But if they want the whole story at the end, we'll we'll give them the uh, the website where you know where they can you know buy the the book Nikita A Tale Absolutely. of the Ring of Redemption that has my full life story there. But yeah, I mean, I just you know, and in, in in my mind. Uh, you know, and, and I'm grateful to Animal, and it, it really was a turnabout, a turnabout because I actually recruited Animal, recruited Joe out of high school to play college football with me. Then he, oh, really? in turn, in a sense, recruits me into professional wrestling. Now, by the way, with no amateur wrestling background, no professional training of any kind, of a camp of any sort. Uh, before my debut debut in in Raleigh, North Carolina, the Dorton Arena. That's nuts. <laughs> and actually, that's that leads perfect. It's like you read my notes because that leads into my next question. Because I mean, you had the the proverbial rocket ship strapped to your back when you. I mean, you know, and I I remember reading what was it? Uh, Jim Crockett said to Dusty, "Yeah, we're gonna do this, but if he trips on the ropes going in, he's fired." Um, yeah, yeah, but well, he he told that to Ivan. He said that to oh, Ivan. Okay, was, it was Ivan. I'm sorry. Because because what happened was so again, no, you know, I show up at the office the day Jim Crockett says to be there with only a five minute phone call with him. That's it. There's <laughs> there's no cell phones and no selfies in those days. Right. I just had a a, a conversation. I show up the day he says to be there. Takes a look at me introduces me to Ivan and Don Kernodal. Nikita Koloff's born in the hallways of Charlotte that day. They put me on an interview set, like you said, with the chains around my neck. And then we were supposed to get to Raleigh early, and, and we got there late. Not, not my fault. I was just along <laughs> for the ride, so to speak. And so Crockett, I think, started having, you know, was not happy that we didn't at least get in the ring and, and, and do a few things. But they showed me in the dressing room how to lock up, tie up, and, and 11 <laughs> seconds later in front of a sold-out crowd, of, I, I had my first win in professional wrestling. And then it was meteoric from there, Patrick. That, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's so much fun. And the nice thing is, like, I was watching clips. I was kind of going through your career thing. You know, uh, I mean, just because of the WWE Network and YouTube, I was able to, you know, kind of – and. I mean, I watched you develop in front of my eyes. How you know, at first you were just standing there, and then by the end, you know, you're you know yelling into the into the. Uh, you really, you really found it finally, yeah. Yeah, and then and your in ring stuff, you know, seeing the little squash matches to, you know, watching you grow in the. I mean, you know, that that was that was really interesting. Um, yeah, because I I can't think of anybody else to you know starting so green and then and you know, being in the main event so quick um, and doing such a good job. I mean, you were entertaining as all get out to watch. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, and, and keep in mind, and I have to give credit to where credit's due. I mean, so, so Ivan and Don, so understanding that story, Ivan and Don and I would get, then get to the town two or three hours early uh, for the next couple months. And, and they would, they would 
bump and thump all over the ring, teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. And then I'd sit in their corner and watch their world tag match every night. And then on the drive home every single night, we would then talk about the old school psychology of wrestling. And so I had, you might say on the job training. And fortunately, I guess you might say I was a good student. I was a good, I was coachable and I was teachable. And to your point, within 13 months of that debut in the Dorton arena, um, um, I'm wrestling guys like, like the Rock and Roll Express, Dusty Rhodes, Dory Funk Jr., uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, Mark and Jay Youngblood, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of who I'm in the ring with. And I become the world tag team champion, world six-man champion. And 13 months, I think, to the day, I'm wrestling the world heavyweight champion, a guy known as, woo, the nature boy <laughs> Ric Flair. For the world heavyweight title, all within 13 months. I, that's it, it. It's it's insane. I mean, it, it had to be so much fun. And uh, one person that you had quite a few matches with, um, Magnum TA. Uh, I watched the best of three that that you guys had for the U.S. title. And the one thing I loved about that match was that it wasn't you versus Magnum TA. It was you versus Magnum TA and the crowd. And, you know, you were constantly <laughs> berating and, uh, you know, and, and yelling at the crowd. And, you know, and they were taking swipes at you when you were outside the ring and stuff. And I, it, it was, I mean, that was, that was just such, your character development was just so good. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, because some of our listeners might be a little, or, you know, viewers might be a little younger and not realize that, that at this time, the Cold War was going on and you have uh, a guy from minnesota who is kayfabing as a russian did you, and, and like you were doing it pretty much 24 7 um did uh did you have any problems like outside of the ring with people that recognized you and stuff because it, it was there was a lot of tension at that time between russia and america there was and there there was there was some some actual uh, phone calls to the crockett office some some death threats. And then, and then, you know, I made reference to that, that great American bash, 1985. You'll actually see, this was the first of six encounters that a fan came over the barricade. In this case, actually got in the ring, actually got his hands on me. And, and I didn't, I didn't realize what was going And then the cops kind of figured out, Oh, I, I don't think this guy's part of the show. And then five more times in five other cities, that same thing would happen. The guys had a few extra bottles of courage in them, if you know what I mean, and, and thought they could take on the Russian nightmare. But legit, like, we're like, came after me, like, we're coming after me in the ring, not so much outside the ring. I think the intimidation factor outside the ring kind of kept people at bay. But boy, mm -hmm. they, they came after me uh, in the ring. The fans well, and that, did. And that's what that's when you know for sure that what you're doing is working, you know, and that that's going through history of, uh, uh, you know, a small handful of heels, you know, in the business throughout, throughout history. If you're getting calls to the promotion <laughs> and getting complaints about how awful you are as <laughs> Nikita Koloff, you're doing a fantastic job being Nikita Koloff. You know, that's when you know what you're doing is working. And well, yeah. And I take, I do take it as a compliment for real. I mean, like, you know, when you said Patrick that I, I scared you, you know, as a kid, if I've heard that once, I've heard that hundreds of times. guys are like, 
It's amazing. Man, I was like, and, and some of them were actually at the arena. They're like, man, you walked by and I, I like, like fell back in my seat. I didn't even want to get, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I take it as a compliment to say that for them to say, I loved to hate you, Nikita Koloff. Yeah, and best. the fact that I was at one point voted the number one most hated guy in the world of wrestling. I just take it as a compliment. It's the only <laughs> profession in the world that you would actually take that as a compliment. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's it's a the good only. point. That's a good point. That's that, and that's one of my favorite things to say about some of the heels, like you know, today where you know my wife and I will, will be watching. I was like, oh, I love to hate this guy because he just it, you know, and like you, you just it, it it was it was so much fun to to despise you know your character and stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the matches I watched, and this match, uh, you want to talk about star studded, the uh, War Games of Wrestle War '92. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, it, uh, for the for those listening and watching, the competitors were of course Nikita Koloff, and you also on his team you had Sting, Dustin Rose, Barry Windham. On the opposite team, you had Larry Zbyszko, Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Double A. I that is the the who's who of you know not even just WCW. I mean professional rap. I mean Steve Austin would go on to, to become the biggest star of all time. Pretty much, you know, arguably, um, the you know Dustin Rhodes still doing it today in 2021, and then I mean, just what, one thing I wanted to ask because you were the last competitor to go in, um, and there the storyline was were you going to team with Sting and whatnot? So you're standing outside the ring, you're watching all this going on now, uh, in in your mind, um, what are you thinking? I mean, are you just thinking I'm going to get in there and are you like? What have I got myself into? Uh. Well, you know, to be a part of uh, what what was called Sting Squadron was was uh, phenomenal in and of itself. I mean, just just to, you know, as you just mentioned, that lineup of of, of superstars, and uh, and and so the war games in and of itself. Let me just address the not so much uh, that particular night, uh, but the war games in and of itself. They were stellar in the sense of, especially going back to the very original one, you know, mm-hmm. the superpowers and the road warriors with Paul Ellering against the four horsemen with J.J. Dillon, right? And, and I, I, I have more of a recollection of that one because it was the very first one, right? Um, and the, the, I think of the electricity in, in the building that night. I mean, it was, you could feel it. You could feel the electric. None of us really knew, knew what to expect. Now, fast forward to, to Sting Squadron. I knew what more to expect because, you know, we, we, I'd done it. I don't even know how many times at that point. <laughs> now, now, obviously different opponents, but, but nevertheless, you go into that match knowing there's a, a unique dynamic to it you got two cages two rings two cages you know roof on top and you just kind of pick and choose who you want to go after and and just do something that you know hopefully is going to get a pop from the fans right and And there were a lot in that match (laughs) yeah yes and then and then come the conclusion you know they go home happy so Fond memory. The, the War Games rank right up uh, towards the top of some of my all-time favorite matches to be involved in. Have you? Awesome. Uh, have uh, you ever? Well, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, they're, they're also, for from a fan's perspective, they're one of, like, the most fun matches to watch, you know. I and mean, that's what yeah, I, it is a spectacle to watch. Even today with NXT doing it, they're still, and you know, that, they are entertaining matches. And I'm that's sorry, what, that, oh, that's fine. That's what I was going to ask, too. Have you been able to check out any of the, the uh, War Games matches that have happened in NXT? I, I, I've not. I, I uh, you know, full transparency, when I retired and, and stepped away from in-ring action, I really stepped away from from you know even even wa- you know watching it on television. Now I, I'll see I'll see clips and bits and pieces. Of course, you know I'm still full time you know in the legendary you know legends autograph signings, comic cons, those sorts of things where I hear more stories. In fact, I recently did a, a comic con and I was right next to a Sting's protege Darby, and um, and got a chance to talk to him for for a few minutes and. And so I pick up uh, bits and pieces from from others, uh, but I will say for the, I'm going to be on record to say this: uh, often imitated, never duplicated. Uh, it, there's nothing like the original ever. There's just nothing like the original. Taking yeah. nothing away from what they may be doing now, there's just nothing like the original. I can agree. I can agree. I, 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 yeah, I I I can. I agree as I agree with that as well. Yeah, it was back then. It seemed more of a like literally, you know, uh, almost like a prison fight. You know, eight guys locked in a cage together, just beating each other up. And I mean, now it's fun to watch. It's entertaining, but yeah, it's it's more uh, spectacle, I guess. I I don't you know I don't know if that's the right term, but let me say it this way, Patrick, uh, because people do ask me this question. You know, in, in, in understanding the product of today versus what, what we put across, you know, television and closed circuit is I, I would summarize it by saying this way. It was all of the matches, not just war games, were more organic back then. In fact, yeah. even for your younger audience, you go watch some old stuff, YouTube, even pay attention to the fan reaction mm-hmm. then versus now. And essentially the best way I could summarize is we had more creative control to what we did in the ring. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't scripted out from start to finish. And therefore we could spontaneously tell a story in the ring, whether I was in a single, a tag, a six man, an eight man or a war game, we could, we had the Liberty to spontaneously tell a story in the ring leading into the outcome which is why you'll see more of an organic response from the fans that, than, than, than what's uh, p- produced today. Again, taking nothing away from the athletes, it's just a different product that's, that's being put out to the fans. When it's more that's organic it, it, from the start in the ring, it's going to transi- translate more organically to the crowd, which would, correct. like you said, make more of an organic pop and, and crowd reaction. Correct. That makes sense. That's correct. And, and there was guys that was right. There's no really no internet or any of that. So right. So so people could only kind of follow it according to, to, to their local TV market or, or eventually cable and or magazines, right? Shout out to, to Bill Laughter, uh one of the best of the best ever in in ma- making guys' careers through the magazines. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that's how you basically followed it, right? And so so to to be able to go into the ring and perform and tell a story and the fans had more of a mystery to what was going to happen as opposed to how exposed it is now 
still entertaining, as you guys said, but it's not the mystery has kind of been taken away. Yeah, I hundred percent accurate. I mean, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but well, one thing uh, I did want to ask you about the the organicness of everything, the the face turn of Nikita Koloff. Uh, when you went into that cage, Dusty was in there already getting beaten up by JJ and Oli. And then you went in there and charged, and I, I forget who you attacked, but that pop you got—I mean, that was that was road warrior level pop. Now I know I and I, I've done stand-up comedy for years, so like, um, it, not to you know, di- you'll find the relation, but like I, I will get a reaction, but I won't realize how good the reaction was until I watch the tape back. And then I was like, oh, that was that was pretty loud. So. You know, I can understand if in the moment you didn't realize, but did you ever watch that back and go, oh, wow, that was that was a pop. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'll I will I'll say this. So and it was only Anderson who it went after. But it was, okay. again, one of the one of the best kept secrets in, in wrestling. Right. Um, I mean, we didn't tell anyone. We agreed not to tell when I say we Dusty, Jimmy and I agreed not to tell anyone. Uh, and, and no one, we're, so no one really knew who the mystery partner is going to be till then, till the night of the show, when I arrived an hour after the show began. So no one, knew. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't even tell Ivan. I, I mean, you know, we agreed we weren't going to tell anyone. So oh, I wrestled for, awesome. yeah. So I wrestled for several weeks, you know, still wrestling as a heel every night in my, and fulfilling my bookings leading up to that night. And, and, and. I recently heard, I need to really confirm this, but this is what I heard anyway, that Tony Schiavone was asked a while ago in his career, what was the biggest pop he had ever heard in his career? And my understanding is he said the night Nikita Koloff turned babyface. I can believe it. Which I, I, take, uh, I take as a real compliment, right? So I, uh, I listened to a clip where, uh, uh, when I was doing my research and uh, he did say that <laughs> I, okay. yeah, there was well, a clip on YouTube and, and that's well, good, what good to know. To thank you for confirming that fact. Yeah. I've, I've said that a few times, but I never, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. That's what led that me to go great compliment. Right. So, Oh, oh it, to get a pop like that. I mean, that's what, that's what one of the reasons you do what you do is to, you know, to get that audience reaction, that visceral, just, you can't contain yourself. Just, you know, and yeah. to be as a fan, to be in the crowd and do something like that. I mean, that's a, that's a memory that, you know, you have in the crowd that you're like, Oh my gosh, I was there for that. And like, you know, you get goosebumps thinking about it. So, yeah. Well, and, 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 and to, on that note, what's, what's amazing to me is thinking like only a month before wrestling in that same building, you know, fa- fans were, I mean, you know, they, everywhere I went, they, they would throw stuff at me. I mean, they would, they would let me know I was number one in their heart. Wink, wink, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and then, and then that night, that, that night to, to, uh, to see guys in the audience with their shirt off and doing like what I, you know, I used to do the most muscular yeah. pose. and guys are in the audience. And, and, and yeah, it was, it was surreal to, to be a part of that, looking back on that, and and much more appreciated now, even though even when I was in the moment, but it was it was surreal to see how they turned 
on a dime. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah, it, and- it, it was. It was. Now, um, so you uh, you retired in '92, right? At tail end of '92, yes, sir. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, since your retirement, what what have you been up to? What what's going on? Because I read about this, and I was like. Oh, I mean, you know, uh, it was it was something that uh, I did not expect, but it's also uh, very good. I mean, you know, uh, it, uh, it's just it's something very, very good, wholesome, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, uh, building strength building in a sense. Uh, what have you been doing? <laughs> Well, I, I, pre- I appreciate the opportunity to talk for a couple of minutes about that because it, it I just used the word surreal, right? And I, I could really kind of blanket that on, on my whole life journey. And even going back from what we first talked about from pursuing football and then a door of opportunity opening for professional wrestling, which wasn't on my radar as a, radar as a kid, but I became one. And then I had the career of what we just somewhat highlighted just now. Uh, and, and then I look back on the last 28 years since stepping away from the ring and and I have now I've traveled Patrick and, and, and Chris I've traveled to so far to 30 different countries I've been to oh, all wow. 50 states I was on an amazing tour across Canada a 21 day tour 21 cities in 21 days for a, a promoter up there named Danny Warren and and, and just enjoyed seeing Canada and, and just everything I, I've traveled and done but what happened 11 months after I left wrestling, which you're making reference to, which which was, again, not on my radar, like many things in my life, but I found myself at an altar, surrendering my life to Jesus Christ and, and, and becoming a Christ follower. And since that decision, that day, actually 17 October 1993, it's been a whirlwind of a journey. And in fact, wrestling was a training ground clearly for me because I say it for this. I flew on airplanes. I rented cars. I rented, uh, I, I stayed in hotels. I talked to microphones in front of cameras, entertaining crowds for a living. And now the last 28 years, I'm traveling the world, talking on microphones, staying in hotels, renting cars, <laughs> you, you know, in front of cameras sometimes, you know, not to entertain a crowd, but just to share my story and how my life was transformed. And so some of the things real quick I've done, uh, I've written three books and working on a fourth book. Uh, two of them are available. If somebody wanted to get a signed copy, they can do that through my website. We'll give that address in a minute. Um, so I've written, written three books. Uh, I, I host a, a conference called the man up conference. And, and then that feeds into, or leads to a, a camp, which I'm wearing the shirt, man camp, Lex Luger and I, one of my nemesis in the ring, but then not one of my best friends. He and I co-facilitate a camp for guys. We bring them in for a handful of days. And our goal at the camp is to teach, train, equip, and empower these men, send them back home to just be better men, just be better men, better husbands, better fathers. And he and I take our experiences along with the a a quality staff and just empower these men. So I do the camps a year ago. I launched a podcast called the man up podcast and a radio show on truth radio network with Stu Epperson. And I'm getting ready 
to do a television version of the Man Up Show for Morningstar TV. And so that's just a handful of the things <laughs> that I've been doing. So you haven't taken retirement lying down. Uh. <laughs> uh, I, here's a better word, Patrick. Uh, uh, retirement is not in my, my, my vocabulary, but refirement is. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's good. Now, okay, one thing I do have to ask you. Uh, so you traveled around in the, in the squared circle and outside the square. You were traveling around, renting the cars, doing all that. Uh, uh, what what got you sweaty more? Talking in front of a a, a crowd at a at a church or at a at a uh, uh, gathering or 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 wrestling, you know, uh, for twenty minutes? <laughs> which, which one got the nerves going and got the sweat going more? That's you know you know that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that, but so here's <laughs> it, what's like here's what's interesting. So you know, wrestling in front of you know twenty thirty however many forty thousand people or, or however many a lot a lot of people right you you one would think when you when you step in front of a crowd with a microphone and i i remember you know i've been involved in a number of different business ventures over the years and i was doing a bit my very first business presentation and it was in front of like seven people in an airport in savannah in a conference <laughs> room and patrick I had the worst case of cotton mouth, I think, ever <laughs> on the planet. I was so nervous, right? But that said, that meeting that day, and that was that was pre prior to becoming a, an evangelist and a preacher. So I, I got here again, the business world became a training ground for me to eventually step onto a platform and share from a pulpit where now I've been in about 1,200 or so churches uh, all, all across the globe as well, in crusades and, and revivals and, and all kinds of conferences, et cetera. But funny you would ask that because I'm like, man, where, where, it was like, here's the podium. If you step away from the podium that fir first time, you're like, how do I get back to the podium? <laughs> <laughs> so, so. But all anyway, but yeah, so I've had a lot of incredible experiences and an incredible journey. Uh, and it, it sounds like that you are just, you are happy, you are loving life, which, uh, you know, I mean, what, what else can you ask for, you know, and on top of that, you are, you, you know, you're spreading that love, you're spreading that happiness. So, you know, I uh, uh, follow you on Twitter and I'll see, I'll see your posts and they're, uh, you know, so many just uplifting thing, uplifting posts where it's just like, you know, do your best, you know, be the, be a better person and stuff, which, you know, yeah, the world needs yeah. and, these days, honestly. And, and that, and that's my hope and my goal now. Right. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, obviously I, you know, I'm, if I can share my faith somewhere, like you gave me a opportunity today, mm -hmm. you know, I'm share a little bit about my, my faith and my life story, but more than anything at this juncture of life, my goal, and I appreciate that, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so you know, social media, the podcast, the Man Up Show, some great interviews on there, by the way. I mean, with Sting and Lex Luger and Magnum TA and Jackson Riker of WWE and others. Um, in fact, I just talked to Tully Blanchard. I'm going to be interviewing him uh, coming up sometime here soon oh, cool. for the podcast. But my goal, my overall goal is just to bring, hopefully, a, a an inspiring uh, uplifting, as you said, uh, motivational 
uh, type of, of message to, to my audience. And in fact, the other book, Wrestling with Success, that's what it's all about. It's about, it's a motivational book where the life story is inspirational. Wrestling with Success, uh, written and co-authored with Jeffrey Gittimer is, is motivational. But that's my goal, guys. My goal is to just bring, bring a pot. And, and in a very negative world, in my view, to bring a very positive message. That's Absolutely. my goal. That, you know, yeah. I mean, even in the darkest room, a candle will light, you know, one candle, one match will, you know, light it up. So, you know, I mean, yeah, Absolutely. you got to, you, you got you, you got to be the light. Yeah. I, I, you, you just, uh, one, one, one quick story. And I know I don't want to take no, up all, hey, all, yo, all no, your no, time. You don't, you don't have to. <laughs> You just made me think, Patrick, you just made me think I was doing, I was doing a, a check this out to your point on the one candle can light up a room. I, I was, I was doing a, I was uh, doing a crusade in Uganda, Africa. Ooh. And they warned me that, Hey, the power can go out at any time. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just what it is. And, and sure enough, it was a Sunday night service. I was about halfway through my message. I have a translator standing next to me at the pulpit. And the light goes out. And I'm telling you, when the light goes out in Uganda, Africa, when the electricity goes out, you can't see your hand in front of your face, bro. <laughs> like, I mean, it is pitch black. And 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 I hear all this shuffling of feet. And I'm like, oh, everybody must be leaving, you know. And I'm like, what what do I do now? And I'm standing there for about a you know a minute or it seemed like 10, but but and it's not coming back on. And, and I feel like the Lord says to my heart, just keep preaching. I'm like, Okay, I can't now. I can't see any notes, and I can't see my Bible, so I just, I just get. And he interprets, and I preach, and he interprets, and I preach, and then a, an elderly lady from way in the back walks through the back door with a little tiny single candle in her hand, and I'm telling you, it lights up the entire the entire building. It was, it was, and she walks down the aisle very slowly, comes up on the platform, pours some wax on the pulpit sticks the little candle on the pulpit and then goes and sits down. And it was the most amazing experience like ever. I mean, Oh, incredible. that is, that is beautiful. That is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that, that got, that, that, that got my cold dead heart pumping. I joke, but uh, I feel like, I feel I, like we could literally talk to you for hours and hours because I know that there are hours and hours and days and months of stories to be told. So I have to say, we're, we're going to have to have you back one of these days because we yes, just sir. didn't have enough time this time around. Um, this has been a wonderful experience. Um, again, like you know, going back to what he just said and what you got, the story you just told, Having anybody on that's positive, you know, it's it's easy as wrestling fans to kind of be negative about wrestling from time to time, you know, what what we like and don't like. So it's really nice to have some, a very positive influence on the show to help us just keep the positive vibes going. Um, unfortunately, we have to kind of uh, start slowing it down a little bit. But is there anything specific that you'd like to shout out there for our audience and for your audience to, uh, you know, between your podcast, your social medias, your ministry, anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I'll just kind of summarize by saying this for, for your audience, you know, go to koloff.net. It's just a one-stop shop. Right. Koloff, right yep, koloff.net. What you'll find there is there's a link to the podcast, to the yeah. Mana Podcast. There's there's a link to the Man Camp. 
Uh, there's links to all of my social media. If you want to follow me on social media, it's all right there uh, at koloff.net. The store is there. If you want an autographed 8x10 photo or an autographed book or something else, it's right there in the store. And I just appreciate you guys having me on sideways. Absolutely. Sideways. Hey, you better watch Sideways in Time or with Chris and Patrick or the Russian Nightmare is going to come after you. Shut Okay. We're going to have to cut that and edit it and open every show with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And just oh, thank you so much, Nikita. This was so much fun. I knew it was going to be good. I didn't think it was going to be this much fun. You are you are a joy to talk to. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think Chris and I made a new friend today, and, and I, I appreciate so. that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, whatever I can do to help you guys, and, and, and thank you for uh, getting my message out there. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. absolutely. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right. God bless you and all your audience. Take thank care. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. All right. Well, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I think we made a new best friend, Pat. What do you think? I, I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. Uh, super nice guy. Um, and as we go forward with these interviews, we will make sure to put all of his uh, links in the description, whether you're watching on YouTube right now, or you're listening on Spotify or um, any, anywhere where our podcast is found. Um, definitely go check out his podcast, the man up podcast. And I mean, you know, like he said, you can get, get yourself a, an autographed book or two. Um, so, yeah, definitely go check him out. One of the nicest guys I've ever spoke to in my life uh, next to this guy right here. Well, um, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, so that was awesome. And, uh, and I hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Nikita Koloff, or our interview, Patrick's interview with Nikita Koloff, because he killed it. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it, and I'm not afraid to say I marked out. Uh, <laughs> he did, too. Because... You can mark out, <laughs> um, but also uh, my uh, my good friend Sean Shank was the one that that started the introduction for this, and I wanted to give him a shout out. He it, it's going to disappear because of the color. So he has books out on Amazon. This is one of them, Unchained. If you like, it doesn't uh, come. It, it doesn't come translucent. You can you yeah. There, there's his name upside down. I can't get it on there. He's got a few books on Amazon. There. We'll put a, you know, we'll put a link to that in the description download. as well. We'll put yeah. a link to that in the description as well. Um, but yeah, he's got some books on there, so go check him out. You know, if you like this interview and you want to show some love to him, or if you just like, you know, just like a, a decent read. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, moving cool. on. Cool. So uh, obviously, it's going to be a little bit of a different show this week uh, with the interview we just did. So it's a little bit shortened on our end. Um, so we're going to go into two of our segments of the week. Uh, we're going to we're going to come back to uh, JCB's rant of the week um, next week. So this week, we're going to actually introduce a new segment. Um, we'll go back to the Mount Rushmore eventually, but I don't want to do all of them all at once. And then we won't have anything to talk about with those later on down the road. So we're going to introduce a, a new segment that we like to call hot take. And hot take. if you're not super familiar with hot take or the term hot take, as far as you know, Twitter or wrestling specifically, it's when you have a hot take on a certain subject. So this week, for example, and this is a hot take because I don't know if I'm in the majority or the mi minority of this take, but this week we're going to do a hot take on Matt Hardy in AEW. And that hot take being that I think 
he has not been very good in AEW. He's been wasted. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't know if I would personally say wasted, but uh, that's your hot take on, on top of it. I think you and I are going to agree for the most part mm-hmm. on most of this. Um, let me just start off by saying real quick, obviously most of you know who Matt Hardy is. If you don't, huge star in the WWE with his brother Jeff Hardy, the Hardy Boys, very extremely decorated tag team champions. They are also single champions uh, multi-time, multiple times over in their own right. Um, Matt Hardy had jumped to TNA uh, for a while and in doing so became one of the most over characters in professional wrestling uh, almost ever um, with his broken Matt Hardy and the broken universe that he also had roped Jeff Hardy and his wife and his pretty much as a whole family into. And at first it was one of the most cringy things that I've ever seen in pro wrestling that ultimately turned into one of the most entertaining things wrestling has ever seen. Um, it blew up massively uh, to the point where when he left TNA and went to WWE, they didn't quite jump right into it. Uh, and because of, I think there was some legal disputes over the broken gimmick yeah uh you know he went on to be the woken matt hardy which was give or take it wasn't awful but it wasn't as good um but he had a a good uh little stretch there with bray wyatt um and a few other things and then decided it was time for him to move on to another company while he still had go in him and debuted in aew unfortunately He debuted in AEW as Broken Matt Hardy to an empty arena because this is very shortly after the pandemic hit and everything got shut down. Um, So he had his debut on AEW. uh, I think it was March 18th, 2020 on an episode of Dynamite where he did, like I said, he came out um, uh, in the Broken gimmick uh, and, you know, he teamed up with the Elite um, for blood and guts. And then it slowly fizzled out, uh, into what we, you know, where we're at today, where he kind of morphed more into the money, Matt Hardy gimmick, which is what he's doing completely. Now, my hot take on this, um, and my brother and I were discussing this, I think yesterday or the day before, um, first of all, I know a lot of people are a fan of money, big money, Matt. I think it sucks if I'm being totally honest. And my brother was like, well, you, you should think it sucks. You sh- you should hate it. Right. And I was like, that's valid. He, he isn't, he's a, he's a heel. He's a heel manager for the most part. He's an active an in-ring active manager, which I don't hate. Um, but for whatever reason, and maybe they're slow burning back into something else for him to do at some point, maybe his purpose right now is to help get these younger talents over that are in the uh, Hardy family office. Um, but, I mean, as far as I remember in interviews, he said that when he left WWE, he left because he had plenty of in-ring go left in him. Um, Now, granted, WWE is starting to bloat a little bit when it comes to their roster. So obviously there's not some major place for him in the roster story-wise. Hopefully they're working towards bringing him back as broken Matt Hardy or some variation of some new Matt Hardy. Uh, because I'm going to be honest with you as far as like, I I don't remember if it was dynamite or if it was rampage, but he had just a short promo 
It wasn't anything significant, but he, he got on the mic and it annoyed me to the point where I fast forward through the entire segment because I couldn't listen to him talk. And this is coming from a huge, like I used to be the biggest Hardy boys fan in the world. Um, even his Matt Hardy action figures used to be me when I was in doing my little fantasy re- action figure federations and all that kind of stuff. Like I was a huge fan. And right now I'm not sure what, obviously neither one of us or anybody listening for that matter knows what their plan is from, from here forward with Matt Hardy. We don't know why he's not being used to a certain capacity, but I mean, granted I'm shitting on this, <clears throat> excuse me, but he hasn't really been on TV much. He's really just kind of been in the background pushing his guys out front, which is good. I'm not saying that's the bad part, but Matt Hardy right now is awful in AEW. And I think all of these guys could be pushed by anybody, regardless of whether they were with Matt Hardy or not. And it's to the point, and I know I'm being negative about this. And we just talked about how, you know, a candle can light a room uh, and how it, it would make the rest of this show nice and positive. But um, I don't know what it is, but I don't even know if I'm looking forward to anything they could be doing with Matt Hardy and AEW. My brother seems to think that Bray Wyatt's going to have something to do with it. I, that's a whole nother hot take for a whole nother time for me personally, but, um, I'm sure I'll have some things to chime in on, on this, but what do you, what do you think, Patrick? My, my hot take on Matt Hardy and AEW, uh, when I say, He's being wasted. Um, the the big money Matt character, I do not find believable at all. Because uh, it's just out of the play. He, there was no inkling of that. So he's just such a change from all the other things. Right. And, and yeah, I know he's the older veteran and stuff. And, and you know, yeah, he made money and stuff. But just the cocky, rich, you know, uh, million dollar man-esque, Bobby Roode-esque uh, right character i i I don't buy it uh secondly the hfo when you see them all in the ring it's like a sweeney todd bmx dennis rodman kids (laughs) and i so i don't i mean in no universe outside of professional wrestling would those six people uh be hanging out uh or seven people eight people or however many are in there right you know but you know they they had to get, I mean, they got, you know, teamed up with, uh, with Hardy and stuff. And, and yeah, it's to push the younger talent or it's to push the unknown talent because, right. you know, like, like Jack Evans has been around forever. Butcher and the blade have been around forever. I mean, you know, God butcher's probably close to my age. Um, yeah, yeah close. Yeah. You know, at, at least late thirties, early forties, yeah. uh, you know, um, late thirties for sure. But, uh, uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't buy it. And I don't, I don't care. About I think that's the, the I think that's the, the whole HFO. thing. I, it's you not know? even that I don't care about the HFO. I, I'm intrigued. First of all, I love butcher and blade. I think they're one of the highlights of the show, in my opinion. When yeah, they're there. They are, they are um, cool. I like Jack Evans. He's exciting. Jack I Evans like is amazing party, as well, but it's right. just Matt doesn't belong big money. Matt doesn't need to be there for that now when when big money matt was doing just the private party thing it kind of made sense Mm -hmm. you know he had two party animals who were all about you know lavish lifestyles and all that and having matt hardy be a part of that sure 
I get that. Um, my hope is that they'll slowly start to water down the big money thing or no pun intended break down that character a bit. I don't necessarily think that broken Matt Hardy should exist in AEW in full capacity. I think that's been done unless there's some magnificent, magnificent um, uh, thing to do to tell that story. Sure. But I think Matt Hardy would be a great manager for the Hardy family office. If it wasn't because like you said, it's such a mishmash of characters, even just if they, if, even if it was just the butcher and the blade and private party, when would you ever see them in the same room together in like kayfabe in the real world? You know, like, would you ever see those four people hanging out in the same place? Like it doesn't really make that group doesn't yeah, really if, make if much private sense. Party wanted to go by like fresh New York strips. <laughs> Butcher and the Blade would be preparing them. Perfect. Outside of that, yeah, it just doesn't make yeah. any sense, man. And as much as I and I know you are too, and I think I'm I'm somewhat responsible for your AD, uh, AEW markdom, uh, but I don't have so, a lot. Somewhat- yeah, I don't have a lot of negative things to say about AEW. There are some things that we could nitpick, nitpick, and I'm not going to go there. That's not the point of this this segment. But Matt was a massive pull, one of the uh, one of the early massive pulls from WWE to AEW. Now, again, unfortunately, he had the unfortunate circumstance to be debuting during uh, for no one, you know, except for the TV audience. But what? What is like, unfortunately I'm with, I'm with a uh, BFR bill from band from ringside podcast. Like he said, when all this was going on, like I didn't give two craps about Matt Hardy versus Christian. And I should have, because yeah. there's so much history there. Exactly. Yeah. But I skipped it. I think I watched one of them, but I just, there, there was no interest there for me because there's no story really being told that I'm aware of that I can tell that they're using with Matt Hardy. Like, and like I said, the thing that bugs me and maybe there's a reason for this and you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be some smart Mark who knows everything about what's going on behind the scenes, but like he specifically said he went to AEW cause he still had a handful of years left to be an active member of a roster. And to me, Yes, he's on TV every week, but he's not being utilized any more than he was before he left WWE. As a matter of fact, that that feud he had with Randy Orton that took him out where he was supposed to leave before that, but they brought him back for a couple weeks to help with that feud. That was a higher profile uh, story, story than anything he's doing right now in AEW. Like Mm -hmm. he's just being completely underutilized and or the gimmick's just not working. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think it's the gimmick's not working, which is leading into him being underutilized. Right. Because, and if this was Hardy's creation to, uh, yeah, to do big money, Matt, okay, but it's, it's not working. Well, and he did um, it in TNA, so it's, it's a recycled gimmick from TNA. And, oh, is that what he did before the was broken? He, yes. So he went through these phases where he was changing his gimmick. He went back to V1. He went to Big Money Matt, and then slowly it ended up into the Broken Universe. And I mean, 
he is he's just so de- he is so creative he is up there with like chris jericho with like reinventing himself i agree um that you know uh like the v1 matt hardy was just such an arrogant prick and you know and like we said in the interview with koloff i loved to hate him oh of course yeah you know, so cocky his feud with edge over the you know the real life situation with lita yeah, fantastic oh, man i mean and that's when i became a matt hardy fan um as a singles was, competitor yeah 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 and you know and now i don't know it's just i don't i don't i don't care uh, i'm yeah you know, it's not that i i think and that's worse than liking or disliking something just you know total apathy towards it's like eh, you know hardy stuff yeah and that's like my brother said he's like shouldn't you hate him i was like yeah but i shouldn't be skipping his segments Mm-hmm. you know what i mean i shouldn't be and and what's even worse about that is i'm skipping his segments which is also skipping jack evans segments and skipping you know butcher and the blade and the, the yeah, private, private party. party and bunny and yeah it's like man and this is just you know again this is our opinion this is not some kind of facts that we're putting out there that everyone should think the way we think about this but that's why it's our hot take um i just wonder if it can be blamed on the pandemic yeah, possibly, because uh, uh, whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever things they had planned for him at the time kind of got scrapped. Was he was he supposed to be uh, the exalted one in the Dark Order, and then they scrapped that and went I don't, with Brody? Or I never or actually Brody got a, always. I I never I don't know honestly. Or was I think, Brody already in? I I I don't know the timeline of that, but I remember reading something about him in the Dark Order or whatever. You know, there were a lot of. Fans, like, yeah, there were a lot of fans who skept, who were hoping that it would be him, and I think it would have made sense, especially with the kind of silly thing that went with the whole Matt broken Matt Hardy thing. Like it would have mm-hmm. worked really well with the Dark Order. I don't know if that was the plan. Um, maybe they're working towards something cool for him, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really know how to end the segment to be honest because it's a hot take, but. Let us know what you think, because I know this is definitely a hot take. There are some people, and I've seen it on Twitter, uh, at Lucha Chris TV, at Patriot Pat underscore 1776. Um, yeah, I changed it. He changed it. Uh, so, and I'm done changing it, I swear. So, but yeah, so let us know what you think, because I know there are a lot of people who have said that they're big fans of Big Money Matt. Um, I'm sure there's people who are big fans of, of the family, uh, the, the Hardy family office. And I'm not saying I hate it, but I think it sucks. That's my hot take. Um, I'm not saying I hate it. I'm saying I don't, I don't care about the Hardy family office as a whole, but I do like the people in the Hardy family office. Agreed. Yeah. But I, I don't care about their family right and i don't you know big money mad does nothing for me and i agree needs... yeah okay. so i accidentally went way too long on that one um because i realized i said we only had about 30 minutes 35 minutes to go and we're at 25 minutes so okay. which is fine because our sideways and enti- our, our what if segment this week um was voted on by you all it was a tiebreaker from a previous week with uh, what if Shawn Michaels had jumped to WCW with the Outsiders. Um, 
and we put those two together because they were a tie. And then you guys voted on this one this week, which was what if impact TNA didn't go to Monday nights? Um, I don't think I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for Patrick and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if either, either one of us were really watching. TNA no, I was, I Are was, okay. I was a faithful TNA watcher at that point. Okay. Yeah. So I had paid attention. I was kind of like WWE now, like I was keeping track of what was going on. I didn't watch one episode of TNA at this, in this time period. Um, so obviously the ratings in TNA impact were kind of shoddy. Uh, Dixie Carter was trying to find ways to boost the ratings of the show. Um, again, like we had mentioned earlier, their talent had nothing to do with their downfall. It was off the charts. They really had some amazing talent on TNA and always have really. In all honesty, if you look through the entire history, including today, they've never been short amazing wrestling talent. Um, Look at look at NXT. That's right. TNA yeah. from two three years ago. A hundred percent. Well, not maybe not a hundred percent, but you know what I mean. But, uh, yeah, a high percentage. Right. Dixie was trying to find ways to do it. So what did she do? Um, she decided to sign Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff um, while they were still on the Thursday night time slot. Um, and I think it was uh, March 8th of that year, 2010, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Impact moved to Monday nights to uh, go actually, head to head. Go ahead. Hold on. Hold on. There's a caveat to that. Uh, okay. They did a Monday night show on June 2nd or June 4th. They did a Monday night show. Um, and that was with the infamous stupid cage that Homicide got yes. stuck on. Yes. And that's when they debuted 100 people. Then... They did that Monday night and then they didn't go to Monday nights regularly until March. Right. So, okay. So yeah. yeah. Well, and, and prior months. somewhere between that on the fourth or whatever it was, you said to the eighth Dixie Carter had come out to address the TNA universe crowd, whatever you want to call it, um, that they were going to make some massive changes and they were going to go to Monday nights to go head to head with Monday night raw. They almost specifically and, no, said it word for word. And that was, that was the locker room she spoke right. to. Oh, and, that's right. That's right. And the shot of that was, that was, that was uh, from what I understand, that was a shoot. Um, the, yeah, I don't the, know if they the knew a lot shots, about it. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were not happy. I mean, you know, I, uh, and, I mean, that, yeah, that was, that was a shoot. That was the actual meeting they had. They didn't record one later. Um, and, uh, you know, with different reactions and stuff. So everyone was just kind of like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. And, and that was the other thing, too. So she brings out Hulk, Hulk Hogan, um, which, if you know me and you know uh, uh, anything about me, you're you a bring Hulk Hogan into the mix. Yeah, brother. Uh, you bring Hogan into the mix, and I'm pretty much tuning out. Um, but, again, I wasn't really tuned in. So this is neither here nor there. But Hogan comes out and claims that the barbaric days of professional wrestling are over and that the backstage, you know, barbarics – is is over and it's not going to be like that and that he also said that it's not going to be dixie said that hogan was going to be the fire that ignited the flame of tna on monday nights and hogan said thanks for that brother lady sister uh but it's not going to be about hogan um you know it's 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 going to be about the talent of tna which sure enough because we're going to go into what happened if it didn't move to mondays sure enough it became all about hogan um, and from what I remember, 
the show sucked. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was decent before now, Hogan got there. Now, the ratings for Impact on that Monday on the eighth, they did beat Raw, or no, Raw beat Impact uh, with a three point four rating. Um, so, right off the bat. You know, everybody knew, like, especially in 2010. Now, I wasn't really watching in 2010 a WWE either. This is around the time I kind of fell out of watching pro wrestling, even though I was kind of still keeping up. But I don't remember Raw being that much more great uh, creatively at that time. That was kind of the diva era. Um, but they still beat them because, I mean, yeah. So we're going to jump in the time machine strap on our seat belts uh and we're gonna go sideways in time and talk about what if tna never went to mondays you want to start us off so uh yeah they moved to monday nights and they just absolutely tanked so let's say they stayed on thursdays oh also uh, uh real quick i'm sorry to interrupt you it lasted until may of that year yeah so they were on monday nights for less than two months continue mm-hmm. um uh what First off, why would you go? Why would you go up against a juggernaut like that? I mean, that's like, that's like you know, great heavens, yeah, uh, or or rocks in your head. I mean, that's like you know, a high school football team going, we can beat the Packers, right? <laughs> you know, um, so I think if they it, if they did move, um, I, that would have been their best bet. I mean, look at what AEW is doing now. Um, right. You know, they're 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 not coming, and you know, you would have had. Your audience would have been WWE's audience for the most part. Um, you'd have had the TNA faithful who didn't watch WWE, but your right. audience wouldn't have. You know, it, 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 they would just be watching both brands, and it would have just been more wrestling on two nights. Um, which you know, like today, you can watch a different wrestling show damn near every night of the week. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so you know, and I think I you know, I just think it would have been a slow and steady growth and it would have been a nice you know alternative they you know they were never meant to be a competitor when uh on uh jeff jerry's podcast conrad asked him did you want to move to mondays and jeff goes hell no uh yeah um which (laughs) i really recommend that show it's a it's a lot of fun jeff's i didn't think i'd like it but i I really do enjoy jeff jerry but anyway um here i am plugging other shows um (laughs) we always uh, do yeah, I know. Hey, I also love stuff you should know. It's got nothing to do with wrestling, but you know, it's fun podcast. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I and I think they just if they just would have just stayed in their lane and they could have slowly built and be a nice little alternative. Um, you know, and they would have grown. They, I don't think they would have ever got to WWE levels, no, uh, or WCW levels. But you know, they or AEW now. But I think they would be better off than what impact is now. Um, you know, I, I think they would have just steadily. Well, I, yeah, I think they would have steadily grown and just, you know, just a, a, a nice little alternative and stuff, but you know, they tried to get too big, too fast without um, any knowledge, basically. I mean, you know, Dixie was in charge, but she was a PR person. She didn't know anything about wrestling. Tony Khan's been, you know, he's a business person as well, but he like lives and breathes wrestling and stuff. Dixie um, was the opposite of Tony Khan in the same position. She was very yeah. wealthy. She was a huge fan of wrestling um, and she had a lot of friends in the business. But ultimately, in my opinion, 
I think whether they had moved to Monday nights or not, Dixie being the head honcho of the company is what ultimately made it fall apart. Um, bringing in Hogan. Well, yeah, actually, now because after they moved back to Thursday nights. Right. Yeah. It, well, uh, and, and, even after Bischoff and uh, Hogan left and yeah. she was still around. Okay. Yeah. I, I take back what I said. Cause I didn't think about that yet. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. So she put the, she put it in the hands of guys like Hogan creatively. Meanwhile, um, you know, guys like Billy Corgan were trying to get his hand in the business who we, you know, now we know as, as the NW, the guy that relaunched NWA, which is fairly successful. It's not the best thing in the world, but it's done a lot of great things with the wrestling at the chase and the, the empower. And mm-hmm. it, there is a significant following for NWA, which is great. Um, and that can be contributed to Billy Corgan. There was a huge battle between the two of them uh, fine, uh, uh, legally over this because eventually he did get involved and he was trying to buy it and she wasn't letting it go or whatever. I don't know the specific details, but Dixie, you know, and God bless her. I don't think she meant any harm at all. I think she wanted her company to thrive, but ultimately I think Dixie's lack of knowledge of the business is what ultimately would have put it under anyway, had it not gone to Monday nights and stayed on Thursdays it wouldn't have hurt them anymore, but I think ultimately it made them look super weak going to Mondays because who are you at that point? Like, yeah, there, there was a lot of good things going on. I mean, shit in April of that year, Rob Van Dam won the, won the TNA world title and it was the highest rated show or episode they had had on Monday nights, um, which was in April, which was you know one of the the month and a half two months that they had on Mondays which was okay okay yeah you put RVD in the top spot and give him the championship you're going to pop some ratings um i don't know what the rating was so that's not saying much but you know it's it's hard to determine on this one because had they not gone to Mondays they would have probably just stayed more the same which isn't better or worse you know TNA was just kind of floating along would she still have brought Hogan and Bischoff in? Probably. Would Hogan and Flair had their f- feud that they had? Probably. Would they have brought all the ECW alumni guys in? Probably. Would that have boosted any extra ratings? I'm a huge ECW mark. I didn't watch a single moment of that, of whatever they called it. They had a specific you, name for it. You didn't miss anything. I know. You know what it I mean? Was... And, and it's unfortunate because a lot of those guys were really good, but Nobody wanted to see Tommy Dreamer, Sabu, you know, like, come on, man. Those guys weren't amazing wrestlers to begin with. They were great ECW personalities, but they weren't fantastic wrestlers. RVD, the Dudleys, sure, those guys were amazing. Raven was really good for a a good portion of his career, not really necessarily as much towards the end. Um, But had they not gone to Mondays, they'd have floated along a little bit more. Like this one's a this one's tough because as I say every week, um, but because I don't think it would have, I think it would have saved them a little bit, but it made them look like assholes, thinking they could stand up against Vince and Raw. Doesn't make, yeah, even on Raw's lowest ratings, they were they had no chance, mm-hmm. no chance in hell. And that's a man. I don't know if 
because like yeah dixie wanted the reins dixie wanted control and stuff and i know i'm going back on what i said originally but yeah that's, that's all right because, though. yeah I, mean... I i didn't take dixie into account right and yeah you have to know that if you want your stuff to succeed sometimes you have to pass the reins um and go okay well i want this to succeed and this isn't my forte so it was like me you know. earlier in the show letting patrick take the reins on the uh the koloff interview yeah because I, I, I probably would have screwed it up but yeah, yeah that was I, fun it was um but it, yeah i mean yeah, and that... speaking of uh koloff too he he had a, a very 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 short stint of time in uh tna as well um uh, but but yeah man like i'm glad you guys voted on this one though honestly because this one it, it's something i hadn't thought about in a long time or if ever to be honest um and I'm actually kind of intrigued now that we've done this to go back and like watch some of this to see how it really unfolded. I probably should have done that ahead of time, but we did the poll on Facebook that, and you know, we, I think we would have known it was a pretty, I forget what it was, but it came pretty heavy uh, for this one over the HBK one. But yeah, man, I, I just don't know that it would have made a whole lot of difference other than they would have looked a lot less weak if they would have just focused on TNA and not focused on trying to compete with anyone, at least as far as on the same night, if you want to compete, competition's good. Um, but do it creatively. Don't, don't mm -hmm. think you can go, look what, you're TNA, Dixie. You are not Ted Turner and WCW. Who lost? <laughs> Multi-million dollar company who is responsible for probably one of the best eras in professional wrestling at that time, or at least was responsible for the, the shift in professional wrestling at the time they lost on Mondays. They made three seasons of a documentary about how they lost to Monday night raw. You are TNA Hulk Hogan. Can't do shit for you. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing that Dixie could have done that would have made them think they could beat raw or any other show, they could have gone to Friday, whatever day's SmackDown was at that time. They could have gone to Friday night SmackDown. They would have been stomped on. Mm -hmm. Like, and again, nothing against TNA's talent, but creatively, it just, I don't know that it would have made much of a difference other than it would have made them look less weak. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Now looking back, yeah. I changed my original stance. How dare you? Um, I know. Uh, uh I bet you, uh, uh, Mike, Dog sixty nine. I bet. Okay, go ahead. I. By the way, I just want to say I know this is off. I made a joke last week about how he says things that we don't like, and it was a joke that didn't land. So obviously, between Patrick and I, I am not the comedian. Patrick is. Mike, we Barely. love you, buddy. We love you. Barely. So I just want to put that out there because I think I I feel like I might have kind of hurt his feelings. And I didn't mean to. Uh, oh, we, we love okay. you on our show. So, yeah, fuck you dog. Say, yeah, <laughs> except for when you say stuff to piss us off. No, you're not <laughs> going to say anything to piss us off. We love you, buddy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a good place to stop uh, for today. Um, as usual, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, uh, 120% thank you, Nikita Koloff, for joining us today. And, that was a blast. Uh, I, I look forward to having him back. We'll definitely have him back on the show for a little bit more of an extensive talk. Um, 
Uh, and thank you guys for voting on this segment. Thank you guys for listening every week. Thank you guys for sharing it and retweeting it. You guys, we, I mean, we have a very small audience so far, but we're brand new. This is obviously, as you can see here, it's only episode five, technically six. Uh, but yeah, we love you guys. Keep plugging. Uh, keep on retweeting. As, as the VFR guys like to say, like, share, subscribe, repeat. Check out our YouTube channel, channel Sideways in Time Network. Uh, like we said last week, we're going to be adding some new exclusive content to that here in the near future. Once we get a little bit, uh, get a little bit more situated. Yeah. Anyways, like I said, uh, oh, and, uh, make sure to check the description below for all of Nikita's, uh, links and stuff. You can find him Patrick always, always a pleasure to talk with you, buddy. And I look forward to next week. I look forward here. to next week, Chris. You're a. You're my good friend, and you're just uh -oh. you're a beautiful soul. Oh. And don't forget, mark the fuck out. Mark the fuck out, and watch your language. <laughs>